You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Well, today, as we, uh, as we dive back into God's Word together, as we agree to, to heed God's commandment to follow Him, let's continue our walk with Jesus through the pages of the Gospel of Mark. And today we're going to be closing out chapter 6. So you can start turning to chapter 6. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 45 to 56 here this morning. And so as we close out chapter 6, we're going to see yet another mind-blowing miracle intended by Jesus to produce awe-inspiring faith in him. Another miracle to produce awe-inspiring faith in him. Last week, we witnessed a very public miracle, right? The feeding of the 5,000. In fact, it was the only other miracle other than the resurrection shared by all four Gospels. It was really, really important for us to be looking at that. We've seen Jesus supernaturally and abundantly feed upwards of fifteen to 20,000 people with only five loaves and two meager fish. And if you remember, we've seen Jesus here as, as the greatest shepherd, and he was sitting uh, the people down in groups on the green grass, and he blesses the food, and his disciples pass it out to each group, and the scriptures said that every last person there had enough to eat, and they were all satisfied. They didn't get a tic-tac-sized meal. They didn't get a grain of rice. Our Lord in his shepherding grace towards them was so full and so abundant and they were so satisfied. And so, even to the point that we see at the end of that, there was 12 baskets left over. Did you ever wonder why there was 12 baskets of food left over? Well, there was 12 disciples. There was enough for them as well. There is no greater shepherd than Jesus. And we've seen that so clearly last week. How could we not follow such a glorious, powerful, gracious, generous shepherd of our souls? These crowds, they were in awe. They were in awe of who Jesus was. John 6:14 and John's gospel says, "When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, "This is indeed the prophet who is come into the world. And that's the right response. Jesus is the great prophet, the Messiah. And every miracle that he did while he was here to testify to the truth of who he was, that he was truly the Son of God. And this is still true today. When we read these miraculous things, these things that he has done in the pages of Scripture, it should bring us to a place of astounding faith in Jesus Christ. But as we look at our text today, as miraculous as that event was, and how excited the public was, what we see in our Scripture today is that his 12 disciples still weren't fully grasping the magnitude of Jesus Christ. 
These are the 12 who from day one have been witnessing Jesus' authority over sickness and death, his authority over the spiritual realm, his authority to forgive sin, his authority over nature over and over and over again. They've seen him do these miracles. And then after seeing this massive, magnanimous miracle, the Bible today in our scripture says they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They didn't get the ultimate lesson that Jesus was teaching them. And so it goes with us as well today, right? In our text today, Jesus is going to give them and give us another opportunity to be in awe of who he is. To see who he is and what he has done so that we can have faith and have it abundantly in him. So Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 56. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment." And as many as touched it were made well. Lord, we thank you for your word open before us. We thank you that you have spoken to us so clearly. We thank you, Lord, that through this and through another miracle that we get to eyewitness here, through these pages, through these words that you have recorded for us through men, that we yet have another chance to have faith in you. And we as Christians, we also need more faith because our faith is often weak. And we see that in the disciples here as well. They weren't fully understanding who God is. And I pray this morning that if there's somebody in this room who is not fully understanding that Jesus is the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the Savior of the world, that today you would reveal that to him or her through your word, by your spirit. Lord, use your word today to glorify yourself. Produce faith in us so that we can lift your name high in our hearts and that you would receive all the praise. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, when it comes to our purpose, our life, our mission, Jesus is indispensable. 
He is the means, he is the measure, and he is the motivation for the mission. We're going to see that clearly in this text today. Today, we're going to see four indispensable truths about Jesus for the mission at hand. And the first indispensable truth that we're going to see this morning is that the mission is urgently dependent upon his divine intercession. Verse 45, immediately, Mark's favorite word, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. The mission is urgently dependent upon his divine intercession. So after this amazing miracle of Jesus feeding 15 to 20,000 people, if we thought that the crowds were eager and they were pressing before, they are pressing all the more now. Remember, according to Jesus, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were wandering and they were wanting. But now, through witnessing this incredible miracle by Jesus, they finally discovered their long-awaited leader. And they're not going anywhere. We also have to remember at this time that the Roman Empire has been in control of Israel since Pompey conquered Jerusalem in 63 BC, and the Jews wanted nothing more than to be free from this oppressive Roman occupation. And so as they remembered the prophecies that were written in the scriptures about a coming Messiah, they were hoping that this Messiah would be a military ruler, that he would lead them to overthrow the evil Roman Empire and get them out of their holy land. And so even though they didn't fully understand how the Messiah was ultimately to do this. They fixed their gaze upon Jesus Christ and on his disciples. And they weren't going to go anywhere. And they weren't going to let them go. In fact, John's gospel reveals that uh, Jesus was perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. And so that's why we see this immediate action here. In verse 45, Mark says, immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat. In fact, the word made here in the original Greek is it's a stronger verb, meaning forced. Jesus forced his disciples to get into the boat and to go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. And then Jesus dismissed the crowd. It seems the disciples were getting caught up in the frenzy of the crowd as well. And in order to avoid a massive uprising by the people, Jesus forces his disciples to go one way and then he sends the crowd the other. This would have been a major detraction from the mission at hand. And so after this crowd disperses, Jesus does as he always does. He gets away, he gets alone, he gets with his father. He went up on the mountain to pray. Did you know that in the Gospel of Mark, Mark only records Jesus praying three times during his ministry. And each prayer is at night. Each prayer is in a lonely place. Each prayer is away from his disciples. And each prayer is at a point 
in his ministry when his disciples are failing to understand the mission. And so again, he seeks the will of God on their behalf. God has to produce faith in them. So brothers and sisters, the days ahead for Jesus and his disciples and the mission at hand needed to be saturated by deep abiding prayer with God the Father. The days were only going to get harder on the mission. And Jesus knew that his disciples weren't understanding. And so we see him alone, prayerfully interceding to his Father for more faith on their behalf. And so what we see is that the mission is urgently dependent upon his divine intercession. Without Christ's intercession, the story fails. Without Jesus, our mission for God would be a complete failure and mess. As I said in the beginning, when it comes to the Christian life, when it comes to our purpose and the mission at hand, Jesus is indispensable. He is the means, he is the measure, he is the motivation. And we see this on full display here. And we see a a role of Jesus Christ within the Trinity to be our intercessor. He is our mediator. He is our advocate to God the Father. The New Testament speaks of Jesus as our high priest He is the one who has entered the Holy of Holies on our behalf, and he does that still today for us at the right hand of God. But as he lived on earth with his disciples, the way that he would intercede for them is to get away with his Father and pray. He did this throughout their life as well. Remember when Peter was about to deny Jesus three times, During his final hours, Jesus prays for Peter. Simon, Simon, in Luke 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. Or also in in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 20 to 21, where he was praying for his disciples, and he was also praying for you. This was right before he was arrested. Jesus prays to the Father, I do not ask for these only, his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So if you are a believer here this morning, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to know that he has interceded for you and he intercedes for you today so that you will have faith. Hebrews 9.24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He intercedes for you. You have the greatest ally, the greatest advocate ever in the greatest shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so as we see Jesus praying for his disciples, praying for faith for them, we also need to remember that if we are in Jesus, if we are Christians, 
Jesus is interceding today. Why does he need to intercede for us? Why does he need to pray for us? Why does he need to pray for his disciples? Because you and I need faith. We need faith. Even as we grow as Christians, we need more faith. Let me ask you, do you need more faith for the days ahead? I need more faith for the days ahead, and I need an intercessor. Faith is a gift. Faith isn't something we just whip up. Faith isn't something we pull out of the closet. Faith isn't something that we muster up. Faith comes from God. He is the giver of faith, and we can have more faith, and we can be confident on the mission of Christ because Jesus is interceding for us. Jesus is leading our lives, our purpose, our mission from right now, from the right hand of the Father. He is the one who said he'll build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail over it. We need faith for the days ahead, just like the disciples needed faith. And so that's an indispensable truth that we need to hold on to. The mission is urgently dependent upon Jesus' divine intercession. And so we see him up on this mountaintop. He continues to pray into the night, and he's praying for faith for his disciples, and then nighttime really rolls in. The darkness is here, verse 47. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Brothers and sisters, the mission is painfully hopeless apart from his divine presence. If you notice the details of how Mark is writing in this scene, we see that he is painting a picture here with much tension, with just a few words. Tension first revealed here in this, the coming of darkness. And even more than that, we see tension here being built because of the distance between the disciples and Jesus Christ. And we see here that it's told from the viewpoint of Jesus. The text says, The boat was out on the sea. The disciples were on the boat. And they're heading away from Jesus. And he was alone on the land. And so we see this distance. We see this separation. Jesus' very presence is not with his disciples. They're going away from him on the water. And he is alone on the land. It's a lot of separation here. But as Jesus prays, praying for faith, his eyes are cast towards his beloved disciples, and he sees them struggling. Verse 48, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. So on a normal calm day on the Sea of Galilee, you you could cross it uh, in, in the boats that they had at that time easily in six to eight hours. But on that fateful evening, the winds were blowing so hard and the waves were pushing so hard that they were struggling for hours and hours just to move ahead foot by foot. They were making headway painfully. 
And this word painfully here literally means torment. It's a word that's often used in Scripture to speak of the torment that comes through demon possession. Or even used in Scripture to speak of the torment of hell. And so what we see here ultimately is that apart from Christ's shepherding, leading, abiding presence, the way forward on the mission will be a tormenting struggle. It will be strained. It will ultimately fail. It will not succeed. Without Jesus at the helm, the mission is futile. We see that here on full display. Like satanic forces, these these waves and the wind is pushing so hard against the boat that the disciples are making no ground. No matter how hard they try in their own strength. Apart from the guiding hand of of the shepherd, sheep can get themselves in a lot of trouble. Apart from the abiding leadership of a shepherd for care and protection, sheep are so prone to danger. Sheep are always prone to danger from from wolves, from natural threats. They're, They're in danger from them own selves. Sheep are not the brightest bulb on the shelf. As God was handing out intelligence to animals, you know, to the dolphins and the chimpanzees. The sheep were in the back of the line. They got the short straw. They were, were, quite frankly, stupid. Sheep are stupid. They wander easily. They don't listen well. They mindlessly follow the sheep that is in front of them, sometimes even to their own death. Sheep need a shepherd. And they're hopeless apart from one. And the reason that I bring up sheep is as we look back to the feeding of the 5,000 last week, there was so much allusion to Psalm 23 that Jesus is the greatest shepherd. And so as we look at Christ's disciples here, we see that these are his closest beloved sheep and they're still not understanding who he was. They didn't grasp the whole truth that he is indispensable. And so we see that there had to be another lesson taught. And the lesson was this menacing storm. This is no accident. This is fully intentional in the sovereign hand of God to teach them and to teach us about the indispensable need for Jesus as they and as we move forward on our mission. As menacing and as dark And as evil as this storm was against the disciples, we have to remember that in our own lives, our own purpose, our own mission for God, it's also going to be opposed by evil forces. Right now, Satan and the spiritual realm hate the fact that people are coming to Jesus Christ in faith. They hate it. They hate the fact that we would plant a church in southeast Calgary. They hate the fact that we would proclaim the truth of the gospel, that the good news of Jesus Christ, that there is salvation only in him. They hate that. What we need to remember and what we need to learn 
like the disciples, is that the mission we are called to as Christians is absolutely futile apart from the abiding, leading, shepherding presence of Jesus. You know, if we try to live our lives, if we try to seek our purpose, if we try to engage our mission apart from the presence of Jesus, we will fail. We will fall on our face. We will not succeed. We're in a spiritual war. And our only hope to win the war is to know that we can't win it. We can't win it on our own. The gospel truth is that in our flesh, in our works, in our own goodness, when you have a one-armed pastor, he has to do quotations like this, okay? In our own goodness, we can do nothing to gain victory over the darkness. All of our works are like filthy rags, the scripture says. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We can't save ourselves. And we can do nothing to please God on our own. We need a righteous shepherd. We need a warrior who has gone before us, Jesus Christ. And so as we think about that, and we think about these disciples pushing against the waves, making no ground, ask yourself, am I trying in the flesh? Am I trying to fight in my own strength? Am I hopelessly straining against the waves and the wind, getting nowhere? If that's you, you need Jesus. You need that abiding shepherd. You need to surrender. You need to turn away from your futile plans and trust in what he can do alone. This is the good news. The good news is that you couldn't do it, but Jesus has done it, and he has done it once for all. And this also doesn't stop when you're a Christian. You still need the gospel as a Christian. You still need to believe that you can't do it on your own. You need Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we try to fight the war of faith. We need to remember the good news. We have to remember John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is not a war for the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4, for, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We need Jesus. The mission is painfully hopeless apart from his divine presence. And so as Jesus prays for his disciples' faith, and then we see him testing their faith, next we see that he gloriously intervenes for their faith. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass them by passed by them. But when they saw him walking out on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. 
But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. Verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hard, and now they are understanding. They understand that the mission is supernaturally clarified by his divine glory. As Jesus watched them from afar, and he saw their struggle, he just couldn't help himself. They've struggled long enough. They must have learned their lesson by now. And it's time to intervene. And the text says, in the fourth watch of the night, which is like Roman military time, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus leaves the desolate separation of the hill and heads towards his beloved. I love that. We see Jesus praying all night, praying till 3 a.m. And then he comes to his beloved disciples, and he does this by walking on the sea. He walks on the sea. Let's just stop there for a minute. Let's dwell on that for a moment. We need to stop. We need to pause. We need to wonder. Jesus Christ is walking on water. That should be so shocking to us. It should be absurd. How can somebody walk on water? It's impossible. But what's impossible for us is possible for the Lord. Again, we, we, we need to recapture the awe of these miracles. Just like last week with the feeding of the 15 to 20,000, we need to recapture the awe of what's going on there. How about for the, the older crowd among us? And when I say older, I mean like over 30. <laughs> Some a little older. You've heard this story so many times, right? And if you've been around the church, you've heard this story over and over. It's becoming white noise. It's old news. We need to recapture the awe. Recapture the awe of what's going on here. How about our young people? With all of our infatuation with entertainment, video games, and fantasy, and superheroes, we have to listen up. That stuff on your phones, on your tablets on your computers is all fake. It's all made up. Jesus walked on water. This really happened. This is absolutely incredible. Don't let the miracles of Jesus get clouded by your virtual reality of this digital universe we're living in. Don't let it get clouded by our imaginations. The Bible is not a comic it's not a movie. It's not a story. What Mark wrote down really happened. And we need to be blown away by this. We need to ask ourselves, am I blown away by Jesus Christ? Am I in awe of Jesus Christ? And is that coming out of me to those around me? Just think about the endless conversations that took place this week focused on the Avengers and the Infinity Stones, and all that stuff going on with the Avengers, right? Endless conversations. 
and yet we have the real Lord of the universe walking on water like nobody else could ever do, and we're just kind of like ho-hum. We're unmoved. And worse, we keep it to ourselves. Jesus is no superhero. Jesus is not a force. He is not a magician. Jesus is God, and only God can do this. That's what's really real. And the fact that he can simply step onto the surface of the sea and he is held up by the water molecules that he spoke into existence should completely blow our minds. And it does. It's incredible. This is amazing. Recapture that. This week, as you are going through your week, keep thinking about Jesus Christ who walks on water. Let that restore the awe that you need to have in him, and then let that spill out to those around you. This is your God. And so step by step, we see him walking on the water. The water is holding up. He miraculously comes to his disciples on the sea, and then it says he meant to pass by them. He meant to pass them by? Anybody else find that statement a little bit peculiar? What's going on here? Why would he want to walk right past them? Like, have fun, I'll see you on the other side. That's not what's going on here. This phrase to pass by has so much significance. So much significance in the Old Testament throughout Scripture. When it comes to God in the Old Testament, to pass by means to reveal himself. Remember at Mount Sinai. When Moses asked to see God's glory, how did God respond? Exodus 33, 21 to 22. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then over to Exodus 34, 6, when it actually happens, the Lord passed by, or the, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed his very covenant name, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God was revealing himself even more, passing Moses by and revealing his glory. The same phrase is used for Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 11. God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Significance. There's more going on here than just walking by. And perhaps the most revealing connection is in Job. Job chapter 9, verses 8, and then also verse 11. Verse 8, God alone stretched out the heavens and treads, walks on the waves of the sea. Verse 11, when he passed by me, I cannot see him when he goes by. I cannot perceive him. Significance. But here in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has come. The God of glory himself 
The exact imprint of of God has now come. The God who was at one time veiled throughout the whole Old Testament. Now the God of glory can be touched and we can see him face to face. And he shows himself to his disciples. He meant to pass them by. He meant to reveal his glory to his disciples. Showing them yet again, God is with them. Verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. I'm pretty sure we would all be terrified as well. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. They go from holy terror to humble astonishment. We see here that the disciples' eyes are now refocused. And they can see Jesus so much more clearly now. Verse 52, For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So no longer are their hearts hardened and unbelieving anymore. Now they understand what Jesus was teaching them through the loaves. They understand the indispensability of the great shepherd for the days ahead that nothing can stop them. That they are with God. They have nothing to fear on the mission ahead. The mission is supernaturally clarified by God's divine glory. So it's not enough to simply read this book and just apply it as moral lessons for life. It's not just a book of great stories that speaks some kind of truth that we identify with. It's not enough to just be believed intellectually that Jesus was this man who could do miraculous things. Brothers and sisters, the reason we have this book, the reason God gave it to us, is to produce faith. Faith that the disciples struggled with. Faith that you and I struggle with. One commentator says, The problem of understanding is not intellectual, but existential. It's a matter of faith. And so let me ask you, are you seeing Jesus clearly for who he says he is? Are you understanding the mission ahead? Are you seeing how crucial his very presence is for all of our life? This isn't understood through arguments. This isn't understood through evidence. This isn't understood through apologetics. It's understood by faith. Faith that is only fully realized by beholding the glory of God. So let me ask you, are you struggling to believe? Are you a skeptic? Ask the Lord to show you the truth. Open up his word and ask the Lord to press that into your heart. Open up God's word 
understand that faith is a gift. The Bible says, by grace you have been saved. This is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. We need to be in awe of who Jesus is. We need to be beholding his glory and seeing what he has done. And we need to believe by faith. As the seas here are calmed and the winds cease, and as the mission is supernaturally clarified, we see that the mission now continues. Verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and they moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. The mission is faithfully fueled by his divine power. So with renewed faith, we see the disciples are believing now and they follow Jesus all the more. They are now confident that he is God and that he has all things in his sovereign control. And as the mission now has clarity, they continue. And the crowds come. And the people, and I love that, they recognize Jesus is with them. Just think about your, your, uh, your weekly escapades into the world. Do people know that Jesus is with you? The people recognize Jesus. And they start coming in frenzied faith from all over the region. Wherever he went, they brought the sick to be healed. And they had faith that he would heal them. So much so that they believed that just touching the fringe of his garment would make them well. And it happened. And Jesus healed many. Many. Friends, Jesus is the means. He is the measure. He is the motivation for the mission. Jesus is indispensable for our lives, for our purpose, for the mission at hand. And as Christians, Jesus says to you, just like the disciples on the boat, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. What do we have to fear if the Lord of the universe is with us and he has power over all things? We can trust him with whatever comes our way. He is the greatest shepherd who leads his flock. He is the one who is building his church. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who has passed by his disciples, who has revealed his glory, and he has also revealed his glory to us through the pages of Scripture. This is your God. Let that attack your faith and produce faith. The mission is urgently dependent upon his divine intercession. It is painfully hopeless apart from his divine presence. It is supernaturally clarified by his divine glory and faithfully fueled by his divine power. Let's pray.
Father, we, we thank you that yet again you show us yourself, you reveal your glory, not only to your 12, but also to the many. You, you reveal your glory to us through the pages of Scripture. Your Holy Spirit illuminates this word to our hearts and shows us the truth. And Lord, we come to you this morning with your word open and bare before us, and we ask you to produce faith in us. Lord, we bring nothing. And that's why faith is a gift, because we don't have it. And so we ask you, Lord, to produce faith. Maybe there's an unbeliever here this morning. I pray that they would cry out to you in faith, believing in you, trusting in you, knowing that their way is futile apart from you. And that they would lean into you and that you would produce miraculous supernatural faith in them. That you would raise them from the dead. That you would take out that heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh so that they could believe. I also pray for those of us in Christ here this morning. We struggle in our faith. The world weighs us down. It feels like waves are crashing against us. The wind is blowing against us and evil is against us. We're even against ourselves. Lord, would you produce faith? Would you restore the awe that we need to believe in who you are? Lord, we thank you for this lesson of faith. We thank you for showing us how indispensable you are, that it is all about you that you are the means, you are the measure, you are the motivation for the mission for our lives, for our purpose. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.